In the last couple of decades, coaches have gained status as useful support tools in sectors ranging from workplace advancement to behavioral health. Filling a space in a way different from therapists or sponsors, addiction recovery coaches can add value to someone's treatment path. On this episode of Through the Trees, we learn about Cedar's addiction recovery coaching program and how it can be used by our patients to bolster positive results in recovery. Addiction treatment healthcare is vast territory, much of it having yet to be fully charted. It also is a field with some of the most passionate and interesting of clinicians. Each week, we walk the addiction treatment trails, learning from experts of all backgrounds and specialties. My name is Pat Failing, and I'm an addiction psychiatrist for Cedar in the University of Colorado. You're listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Well, this is Dr. Pat Failing, and we're here at Cedar as part of our Through the Trees podcast. Goals with this podcast involve education and promotion of quality recovery care for our patients, for families, for other clinicians. I'm really happy today. I'm joined by Rebecca Holmes Sapero. She's a behavioral health supervisor and uh, director of specialty services that we have here at Cedar. And we're sitting down today to talk about uh, a very large and useful avenue for recovery and care for people, which is the world of coaching. This includes recovery coaching, specifically what we offer at Cedar. And we're going to delve into this in terms of what this is and the history behind it. And um, so, Rebecca, I think that this should be pretty entertaining and very useful. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, uh, Rebecca, tell us a little bit of your role here at Cedar and how you're working with clients. Sure. So I'm the supervisor of behavioral health for all our specialty services. So that includes recovery management, which is our recovery coaching program. That also includes our family program, our alumni and volunteer services program, and our spiritual services. And so it sounds like you're involved in a few different things, one of them being uh, the director of some of the coaching program. And it sounds like does the do all of these services involve some continuum of care? Like you're you're keeping a dialogue going with Cedar alumni for a good period of time? Yeah, that's really one of the biggest benefits um, for being in our recovery management program is we're really looking at recovery over a long period of time. It's not just this, I went to treatment one time, it was one and done, I'm good to go. We're really looking at helping and supporting our patients across the continuum um, and beyond. So we really want our patients to engage not only in treatment while they're here, but all the services that we have to provide as well as their families too. Um, And we want them to continue to engage. So we want them to come back. We want them to engage in our community, build peer relationships. Um, And so coaching is one of the ways that we really work to keep folks engaged over a really long period of time. So it can be a year or longer um, that we're meeting with them, talking with them um, over the phone. They can come to campus, those types of things. And we really um, see good results from patients um, really getting a rich experience and getting more involved and building bigger community and social relationships in their recovery. So the, I like this idea of a, a rich experience with people. So there's a lot of wraparound support. 
And I was right. I was curious about that. What does it entail? Like if you had if you had a recovery coach at Cedar, what would it look like? Sure. So our coaches, when patients initially come into, let's say, residential treatment, um, our coaches are really here um, just to start building rapport. They're um, engaging with folks in all different kinds of ways. Um, they're really role models for recovery. Our coaches that we have right now are peers in recovery. Um, so they're able to really role model what successful recovery looks like. Um, they provide a lot of support. They just chat and talk with patients. They're just someone to kind of walk through the experience, um, whether that be tough things, whether that be things to celebrate. Um, they're really there to um, walk along with them and build that relationship. So this starts even when people are in the inpatient center. They're, it's they're, they're meeting a familiar face. And then is that the person that they're going to keep a dialogue with over the upcoming year? Yeah, so um, usually they'll, um, you know, kind of connect. Sometimes they can connect with one of the coaches, um, and they'll, um, if they decide to do coaching, then they'll um, start to have sessions uh, with that person and just kind of meeting one-on-one. It's nothing really formal or anything like that. It's really just sometimes it can be a walk. Sometimes it can be getting a coffee. Sometimes it can be talking over the phone. Um, but they'll meet with them. Usually we do it on a bi-weekly basis, so every other week um, for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour kind of just depends. Sometimes it can be more. We really try to be flexible and work with what the patient wants or needs. Sometimes people need less support at the beginning, and sometimes people need more support and structure at the beginning. It really just depends what the patients need. Um, but they'll um, continue to do kind of every other week, um, and that can be through the continuum of care. So it can be when they step down to the partial hospitalization program, if they go to um, REC, or if they go to IOP, um, even if they don't do any services at all, even if they move back to where, you know, if they live in a different state or something like that, that's totally fine. We'll continue to engage um, and work with them so that they feel connected um, to the community and they feel connected to CEDAR in that way. Okay, so it, the relationship starts, it starts with some flexibility, yes. I guess, at the beginning, and then there's different ways it could then unfold over the upcoming year, a little bit depending on the, the client's circumstances. Yeah, so we really like to tailor it to what the patient's needs are, um, and we're really flexible around that. Um, so how often you meet, but Really, we try to initially at least start some structure because that's typically one of the first things that kind of goes straight out the window in active addiction is structure. So we do in the beginning try to um, implement a little bit of structure where we say, okay, for the first three months, we'll meet every other week. If they need more, then we can add in extra sessions. Um, and then then after that, we can kind of really tailor it to what the person needs. Sometimes if we're working with someone, let's say six to nine months down the road, and they're like, I think I'm doing really, really well. I have a lot of support. Um, I want to do it once a month. That's totally fine, too. Okay. So as, as the person is uh, progressing back into their everyday life, it starts to have some flexibility. Yeah. Of kind of, uh, kind of how they want to use it to right. reach their goals. Right. Okay. What's some of the, the some of the history behind this? Coaching is coaching's been around for some time, I believe, but I don't I don't know much about it. Sure. So 
Um, peer support work, um, which goes by a lot of different names. Some people will say peer support work. Some, um, it's kind of morphed into what we call recovery coaching. But peer support work really started in, actually in the 1970s um, with a social movement around the mental health. Uh, around mental health and mental health service users where people were going to treatment for mental health services and they really wanted to give back to other people that were really struggling with mental health. Um, and then the peer support community really quickly found out that this works really well for chronic disease management. So it started being implemented with like diabetes, cancer, and then substance abuse and addiction. So that's really where it kind of came from is this chronic disease model that came about and they really quickly found that peer support actually really helped outcomes It helped people feel connected and supported for someone who had gone through the same thing. Um, and so it's really recovery coaching specific to addictions really been around, I would say the last 15, maybe 20 years. Um, and then it's been kind of really increasing in like the last 10 years. Um, and so they really found that patients were struggling with this kind of what we call the treatment bubble, where they were in treatment and they were in this kind of protective, safe bubble. And then they were returning home or back into the community, wherever they were going, and the bubble burst. And they were just feeling very overwhelmed. I don't know how to run my life. I have no idea how to do life um, because I've been in active addiction for X amount of years. And now I'm just kind of floating around. I don't know how to um, take care of my finances. I don't know how to get a job. I don't know how to do all of these things. And that's really where um, recovery coaching came in is that we're talking about how do I do life sober? So not just the abstinence piece, but we're really looking at recovery as this life wellness and really all the aspects of someone's life. And then just life skills that a lot of people don't either don't gain or haven't used in quite some time when they're in active addiction. Yeah, uh, can you say some more about that? Give us some examples of kind of life skill struggles that, that we tend to see. Sure. So I would say one of the biggest things that I kind of mentioned before was structure. So a lot of people um, in active addiction have little to no structure in their daily life, especially if they're not working. Um, so it's really just setting up what is my day going to look like? What am I working on? What am I accomplishing? I need a sense of purpose, um, a sense of purpose for my day, for my week. So coaches really help um, set up structure in a, a bunch of different ways. Um, but really helping folks to kind of have um, a path for their day. So not waking up at 2 p.m. and then like, you know, just kind of milling around for a little while, not really doing anything, but really having kind of goals and structure for their day that really helps them kind of be able to get back into those life rhythms. Um, sometimes it involves um, getting folks connected with like a financial counselor or like I have now piles of debt or piles of credit cards. That's another thing we see actually quite a lot 
is um, the patients will say, I have a box of bills I haven't paid in months and months and months, um, and I don't know what to do, and I'm scared to open it because it's been sitting there for a year or something like that. And so they can really help get them connected to someone in the community or just help them get organized. So just help coach them to be able and motivate them to be able to open the box or some, you know, something along those lines um, and really help them with a lot of those kinds of life skills. Sure. So how, so routine mm-hmm. and then healthy dealing with all the stressors that are waiting right. for them. Right. That, that maybe went by the wayside because of they were drinking or exactly. something like that. Yeah. So just the normal things that sometimes we kind of take advantage of, but just like going through your mail, being organized, like what do I do with these things? Um, How do I update my resume? Um, Looking for, you know, looking for jobs, being, doing job interviews. There's a lot of these like very basic life skills um, that really coaches are really wonderful at being able to walk people through those. Sure. Okay. So I, I imagine that would be very useful for our, our folks who are like leaving treatment and then there's, they, they get a lot of really intense structural things handed to them while they're inpatient. Mm-hmm. Like even we, we're cooking their meals, we're setting up their exercise routine. Yeah. We're, um, That's another one, cooking. That comes up a lot too. <laughs> How do I feed myself? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I, yeah. And what are you doing? Are you, are you referring people to like even culinary classes and things? And um, I really think it's just here's resources for how you can start learning how to make a few things or just recipes on the internet or do you, or maybe connecting them with an alumni. That's another thing that coaches are really wonderful at is connecting them with other alumni in the community um, that maybe are really wonderful chefs or really just it's a hobby. They like to cook and they can kind of connect them so that they could even um, like spend time together and that could be a hobby that they could start doing is learning how to cook or you know doing different things like that so that's another um, really wonderful asset for that they're able to kind of connect them with other alumni that might have similar interests sure yeah what is the difference then between a uh, like a recovery coach and then I know I've like heard the term a life coach mm-hmm. are, are those quite similar things or are they are they somewhat different they're really in the same vein. Um, they have a lot of the same, sh- um, if you're thinking about like a structure of kind of a coaching session, they're very, very similar. They're very directive. They're very goal focused. They're um, very present and future focused. We want to set goals. We want to motivate. We want to get people to where they want to go and be the best that they can be. Um, life coaching would be more kind of focused, I guess, just Um, in life in general. Sometimes it's more work or career focused um, or like goals around what my life in general looks like. Whereas recovery coaching is really more focused on um, recovery wellness. So we look at, we use um, SAMHSA's eight dimensions of wellness as kind of a nice Um, guide for what we're talking about where we look at so recovery again isn't just that abstinence or just I'm not using but it's really looking at um, having a healthy environment having healthy social interactions having healthy um, like intellectual stimulation all of those kinds of things and we're really using those dimensions of wellness as a guide so what yeah what are those eight So the eight dimensions of wellness are, I named a couple, but there's social. Um, So we want healthy, satisfying social relationships, um, financial health and wellness, 
occupational, so our work, are we getting purpose, are we finding meaning in the work that we're doing? A lot of people actually completely change careers once they go into recovery because their career before might have been very, um, maybe it was very alcohol focused. Um, and they're really realizing quickly that, wow, this career is not going to work if I want sustained recovery. And so um, looking at occupational, emotional health and wellness, so coping skills. Um, there's a lot of skill building and coaching as well and just um, talking about skills. Uh, spiritual wellness, uh, intellectual wellness. So am I stimulated? Am I learning? Um, are there things, would I want to go back to school? Things like that. Physical wellness, so fitness, um, and then environmental wellness. Okay, so they, so we use a, what, a wheel approach and try to see if, if somebody is well balanced or? Yeah, yeah, okay. so that's exactly, we want to look at all of those aspects. And sometimes there's ones initially that kind of really need more focus than other ones because they're maybe more urgent or there's some kind of emergent need um, that really needs help. But yeah, we really want to look at and make sure um, that it's not completely off balance. Like your occupational one is taking up 50% and then there, all the other stuff is kind of squashed in there. Okay. So there's, it sounds like you, you use some, some basic infrastructure in working with the clients, like a good framework mm -hmm. that involves like a whole person kind of thing. Right. And then, then it's probably a fair amount of collaboration with them to see what, what do you, what do you think are the target areas? Like what do they want to work on, I guess? Right. So um, the coaching is really um, collaborative and often very patient driven. We're not telling patients what to do or directing them as to what they, they exactly what they need to do. We also are big stewards of that there's no one pathway to recovery. So we believe in multiple pathways to recovery and that there's not a cookie cutter approach that works for everyone. Um, so we really want to tailor um, the person's wants and desires and things that they really connect with and we want to build on that. Um, and we really want to encourage them to make goals surrounding what works for them. But um, So it's really kind of collaborative and um, tailored to what the patient needs. Sure. Experience the compassionate care of CEDAR, the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation. Located at the University of Colorado Hospital, we manage complex health needs in addition to addiction. To learn more, visit cedarcolorado.org. So what makes the, the world of coaching distinct from counseling or from therapy? Yeah, that's a great question. I get this question quite a bit. And there's a lot of overlap. So some of the similarities are it's right, a therapist and a coach are going to be really relationship-based. So they're there, they're providing empathy, they're supportive, um, they both have the intention to help and move the patient forward, and they're both um, pretty collaborative in nature. Some of the differences um, are going to be that coaches are really present and future focused. So they're not going to dig in or process anyone's past issues, past concerns, past emotional scars or anything along those lines. 
They're really going to focus on where here we're at right now and how do we move you forward? How do we make this 1% or 2% better? How do we move um, so that we're working towards these goals? Um, they're also coaches also use self-disclosure pretty openly when appropriate. So they use their story of recovery um, to really role model and help the patients to be able to see um, that recovery is possible and that they can be happy and healthy um, and successful in recovery. So they really um, use their own story to be able to model that. They also kind of take a non-expert status. Um, so there's no like licensure for coaching. Um, so they are kind of just working as a guide, not necessarily an expert. Okay. And, and then are they, in, the, in that concept, are they doing like triage, like where they will refer to experts? They function almost like a, they're a hub in the wheel and can line the client up with a good way to get services? I think that's a wonderful way to put that. So our, our coaches really work to um, get a sense of what's going on with the patient. And if someone's emotional distress, or let's say their depressive symptoms or their anxiety symptoms are becoming so that they're not really able to engage in coaching, they wanna help connect them. So also check in, it's a sense of accountability for, you know, have you been working with your therapist or can I help get you connected with someone in the community? They help with um, getting connected to a myriad of resources. Um, and services in the community. So they're really able to help with that as well. I, and I know like Rebecca, you're at each of our, and the coaches, you're at each of our comprehensive treatment planning meetings where we're, where we're reviewing a case. And so the coaches I know all have some very good sense about some of the more common mental health issues, some of the more common recovery problems. So they, they're not just dangling out in the wind and just guiding things. They... Right. Yeah. So they definitely have a really good baseline kind of training and education around, uh, you know, addiction um, and kind of the biopsychosocial model of addiction, as well as um, mental health symptoms, what that looks like, what are the common ones that we often see. Um, and, and we also talk about that in supervision as well. And we kind of, if there's maybe something that's coming up that they haven't experienced before or they're not sure about, um, we talk about those things as well. Sure. Okay. So what makes coaches different than, let's say, a sponsor in AA? Is, what makes that relationship distinct? Sure. And just like with a therapist, there's a lot of commonalities with a sponsor. So the same thing, they want the person to be successful in recovery. They're there to help and support the patient. The big differences are that a coach is not going to um, walk the patient through the 12-step traditions of like AA or NA, um, so which is what a sponsor would do. So they're not going to go through the 12 steps with a patient. Um, they're not going to necessarily um, specifically advocate for the 12-step tradition. If a patient is into that, they enjoy it, they're getting a lot out of it, they want to encourage that, and they may talk about it in their coaching sessions, but they won't necessarily be walking them through the 12 steps. 
There's also some difference um, in that a sponsor is a volunteer and they're typically someone in the community, whereas our coaches have some different ethical boundaries um, due to the work that they do here. So there's just a kind of a different boundary um, and some ethics tied to that. Sure. And I mean, and I guess in some ways it's important to know that they are paid. Like there's, yeah. a, there's a transactional quality. It's it's not to help the coach in their life. Whereas with a sponsor, I know that it does meet some of the needs for the sponsor, him or her as well. It's That's part of her path is volunteerism or helping somebody. Right. And a coach is, is employed. Right. Yeah. So there, and some coaches across the nation are volunteer or start out as volunteer. Our coaches here are paid employees. Um, and so they... Um, are providing a service to our patients. Okay, all right. The tell me a little bit about some of the national history behind even the coaching movement. How long has this been? And you mentioned a little bit about it being involved in other health examples, like like diabetes and uh, people that can help people navigate their chronic health condition. Um, how about other ways in which we've seen coaching in the community or in, in culture? Sure. So um, there was really a big coaching wave in the 90s. Um, if you're familiar with like Tony Robbins, um, that really came about um, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, um, where really helping people to get motivated and to change their lives. And I always say to be the best um to be the best like you that you can be um, or be the best version of yourself. And that's really where coaching kind of came about. And there's also um, been a big wave even recently with executive coaching where it's really helping people who want to build and expand their career um, and their ability to potentially be a CEO or run a, run a company and be, really be successful and things like that. Okay, so that's interesting. That's so I guess that example of coaching wouldn't really involve behavioral health or mental health at all. It would be somebody in the business world right. being a, a consultant for somebody else. Right. Yeah. And it's pretty um it's pretty popular. I hear about it pretty frequently um with folks kind of high up in companies um that People are getting coaching to really help them be the most successful and really get some guidance. It's it's pretty akin to like mentorship, um, but maybe a bit more directive um, and guiding. Now, I know one of the one of the models for chronic mental health care was something called case management that came out actually I think in the early '80s or late '70s, and that had to do with like people with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and giving them some hand holding and trying to give them enough support to keep them out of the hospital. Is there is there any kind of roots to that? Like coaches being similar to case managers? Yeah, I hear that too. There's definitely some overlap with that as well. And some of the things sometimes that coaches are doing just depending on the patient may be more case management in nature. So that might be um, really connecting them with more services in the community, connecting them with a PCP or just connecting them with different kind of resources. So that does come up. Um, and I'm sure that there is some overlap and some connection as this, as recovery coaching really emerged from this kind of missing gap that we were finding in the addiction world, that case management kind of was a part of that as well as 
um, not just that interpersonal connection, but really there's actually some really tangible needs that I need as a patient in order for me to be successful in my recovery. I know one distinction between case managers is oftentimes they're even driving people to appointments and they're helping them with grocery shopping and uh, things like that. And I'm, I'm guessing our coaches are not doing those kinds of things. Correct. Yeah. So our coaches aren't doing those types of things. Kind of the social work support. Right, right. No, that would be outside of the realm. I would, I would guess that could be possible just depending on how, if a different, um, you know, place across the country set it up. Um, but currently that's not, um, the role that our coaches play here. Okay. Are there any any myths or common misconceptions about coaching or, or the recovery coaching that we have? I think the biggest misconception that I hear is um, that the the recovery coaches are just like sponsors and that they have no formal training. Um, and this is untrue. So our coaches actually go through um, go through an extensive training and they have continuous supervision. Um, So they go through a 30-hour Recovery Coach Academy training, which is actually through um, the Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery, and they kind of really designed this uh, Recovery Coach Academy that's the 30 hours, and they go through that as well as do continuing education. And they also work through a credential in the state of Colorado that's called the Certified Peer and Family Specialist. Um, credential and they work towards that. So that involves supervision hours, um, certain education requirements, um, different kinds of trainings and things like that. So they work towards that credential um, and they also um, work with me in and we do group supervision as well as individual supervision where we talk about just a myriad of different topics and boundaries and ethics and um, different just addiction and recovery topics. Okay, so Rebecca, so you're actually on, you are on the ground floor helping our coaches and work through each individual case. Yep, so we talk we about, yeah, so we talk about different, um, the different things that are coming up with, um, you know, different cases and different patients. A lot of times because we're also engaged in our, you know, team-based care meetings, sometimes topics come up that the coaches aren't really familiar with. Um, and myself as coming from, I'm a, you know, a licensed professional counselor and a licensed addiction, um, counselor. So I have more background in, um, mental health. And so I'm really able to help them to be able to provide some education, um, as well, and really be able to kind of talk through and process some of those topics that come up, um, that might be more unusual that we might not see all the time. Sure. So what's been your overall experience in kind of witnessing, how our patients do? Do they? What happens? Like, if they really work with the coaching program, do, is it positive? Yeah, we've had some really wonderful um, stories from patients, and really wonderful data from patients that, um, it, as they're engaging and they continue to engage, they feel a really strong connection to Cedar in our community. Um, they tend to engage more in alumni services and other kind of. Um, mutual aid support groups that we hold here on campus like AA or CANA, all those different smart recovery, things like that. So they tend to engage more in our community. They come to different events that our alumni program does. Um, They engage more with other patients um, and they're really 
they also just feel really connected. So if they do go through a period, let's say they have a lapse or a relapse or they're really struggling, they're an already connected with our coaches. They reach out and we get them back into um, treatment or a service that they might need so that they're not just um, floating around in the community, not sure where to go or what to do. Um, and so we really try to remove a lot of that like fear and stigma from the patients as well. And they know that it's a safe place that they can come back to um, and continue to work with us. Sure. I know we offer coaching for people coming out of the residential treatment. Do we offer it for other people as well? So we offer um, coaching services for anyone who is a patient at Cedar. So you can be in ev any level of care. So you can, any level of care, um, a patient can engage and start doing coaching. Okay, so the intensive outpatient program, yep. the partial hospitalization program. Yep, our coaches often do groups. Um, or meet with folks in different levels of care um, to make sure that they're, you know, building those relationships and being a presence on campus. Okay. And, and today for the, at, at this moment when we're recording our radio show today, what is the cost? What, what are people paying for this? Um, so we set up services um, in initial packages. Like I mentioned before, we try to um, give a little bit of structure at the beginning when people are initially signing up for coaching. We found that if you just kind of do one or two sessions, that's not really getting um, into coaching. So we really want people to kind of commit. Um, so the initial package, if you wanted to do three months of coaching, um, would be $250. Um, and that includes six sessions. We do six months of coaching, which includes 12 sessions, and that's $500. And we also do a year of coaching, which is 24 sessions, and that's $800. Okay. Okay. So there, you're, you're kind of paying for appointments with the coach. And then the, and if I hear you right, the co those appointments can be by phone or they can also be in person, on site. Yep, and we also do a Skype-type program um, or like FaceTime-like program um, that we can use on, you can literally use it on your um, iPhone or, you know, your phone or your computer, um, and we do those as well, and those are fun too. And we really think of it as kind of a drop in the bucket um, in terms of an investment and in really long-term recovery because we see such good engagement. Um, and such good um, feedback from patients on how it really helped them to be able to um, disengage from a lot of that culture that's really tied to their addiction and really help them move into a culture of recovery. So we just really think of it, we really tried to price it really appropriately and really low because we didn't want finance um, or money to be a barrier for folks because we know how important this service is. Sure. And that makes sense. I, you know, I personally feel it's also, it increases the value that it costs something for the patients, the, that they have buy-in and that they know that the coach is, is a professional who's working with them instead of just a volunteer who's just giving of their time just to help the person. No, this is a, this is a, a professional clinical role. I think that's important. Yeah, and so we found that as well. Okay. If, Rebecca, if we were to guide family members or people that wanted to learn more about all of this and just coaching in their life, whether this is Cedar or even, even receiving any sort of recovery coaching around the country, where would you uh, steer them to? Well, definitely our website. We have good information on Cedar's website. Um, and there's a lot of different 
um, recovery coaching programs um, across the country. You can always start with kind of the head honchos of um, recovery coaching, which I mentioned before, which is um, called CCAR, um, which is just the Connecticut Community um, of Addiction um, Recovery and Treatment. And so they would be a good resource as well. They have a website. Okay. They have materials for patients, for users yep. that would provide education. And, and then it sounds like they also, they're responsible for a, f- a fair amount of the training yeah. for coaches or certified coaches in the, in the United States. Correct. Yes. So uh, Rebecca, this has been good. This has been, uh, I think, shedding some light on a very valuable service that we have at Cedar and the the whole world of coaching, and specifically in, uh, the, of the the narrow focus being recovery coaching. And we talked a little bit about what makes that different than some other avenues of coaching that are done around the country for different reasons, and how this can provide kind of a middle path for people to both keep them engaged, to problem solve, to help them with goals. It sounds really very good. This sounds like a nice product for our our patients and for their families. Yeah, it's really we've really found it to be a wonderful resource for our patients. Um, and also another thing that we, you know, didn't really touch on is that we really try to meet patients where they're at. Um, we use a lot of motivational interviewing as well. And we really, um, you know, sometimes for folks, they might not be ready or there to be abstinent. And we really work with folks to be goal directed. Sometimes we use harm reduction strategies and we really try to help folks to be able to move into wellness and recovery for what it looks like for them. Um, and try to um, move them towards those goals. And so we've really found that as people engage and stay connected, they do better. Um, And it's just a really wonderful resource for our folks. So, yeah, so very good. I know we've had prior podcast episodes where we've we've really talked about harm reduction a lot. So I think it's good to know that this is one of the ways in which CEDAR can provide some themes and messages of harm reduction for the people that we're working with. It sounds like it has the right amount of flexibility for people. Yeah, it's really wonderful because again, we're, um, you know, specifically like a lot of my background is in harm reduction and motivational interviewing. So I really use um, that to be able to help our coaches to um, meet patients where they're at and really be able to help them um, to decide what's going to be the best for them and how can they be healthy um, and, and be able to move forward with those goals. Okay. Well, wonderful. So, uh, Rebecca, thank you so much. So this was uh, Dr. Pat Failing sitting down with Rebecca Holmes Sapero as part of the uh, specialty services lines that we have at Cedar, specifically coaching. And this sounds like this is a wonderful service that is really reachable for all the people that we work with on all different uh, continuum of care here at Cedar. It sounds very nice. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Through the Trees, the Cedar Addiction Treatment Podcast. Please visit cedarcolorado.org for a wide array of educational content about the disease of addiction and the science of recovery. If you or a loved one are considering Cedar and the University of Colorado Hospital for treatment, please speak with our admissions team at 720-848-3000. Cedar the Center for Dependency, Addiction, and Rehabilitation, helping people build a life of recovery.